jobs, skills, opportunities. Issues that are top of mind for all of us, but most especially for Canada's business leaders. This afternoon's guest speaker represents the interests of 150 of the nation's most influential chief executives. The Canadian Council of Chief Executives is led by an executive with a long history of advocacy and results. The Honourable John Manley, President and CEO of the Council, is no stranger to addressing challenging issues and helping to find solutions. Mr. Manley is a former Deputy Prime Minister of Canada. He was first elected to Parliament in 1988 and re-elected three times. For a 10-year period from 1993 to 2003, he served in a number of key ministerial portfolios including industry, foreign affairs and finance. Since leaving government and returning to the private sector in 2004, Mr. Manley has maintained a busy schedule of public policy work as President and CEO of the Council, a not-for-profit, non-partisan organization, Mr. Manley furthers the Council's program of public policy, research, consultation and advocacy. Its member CEOs and entrepreneurs represent all sectors of our economy. Collectively, the CEOs administer $4.5 trillion in assets and they have annual revenues in excess of $850 billion. This powerful Council of Chief Executives is responsible for the vast majority of Canada's export, investment, research and development, and training. The former Deputy Prime Minister of Canada readily confides that companies across Canada are finding it increasingly difficult to recruit employees with the right qualifications, a problem that our guest believes will get worse if left unchecked. Before I relinquish the podium, I want to let our live audience know that Mr. Manley has graciously agreed to take questions from you after his speech. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming the Honourable John Manley to the Canadian Club of Toronto podium, Canada's podium of record. Well, thank you very much, Gord. I'm delighted to be back at the Canadian Club. It's been a couple of years. It's been so many years that the last time I was here, we all sat in that big, long table at the front in a row. Uh, but you also gave me one of those terrible flashback moments when you announced your upcoming program and referred to the Honourable John Malloy. I think of him as that lanky kid that worked in my office 20 years ago when I was the Minister of Industry, and now he's the Honourable. Well... I may have been around too long, I don't know. But I'm very happy in this uh, phase of my life, you've gave me a very kind introduction to, to uh, the fact that I, uh, I now find myself uh, not only working with CEOs, but also providing advisory roles to governments of various colors. I, I do say I am now post-partisan, which I would say is a nuanced difference from non-partisan, but, you know, I, I do... I do find myself called upon by different cultures. Strangely enough, I didn't get my usual invitation to advise the mayor of Toronto this visit, but, um, you know, apparently there's a party later on, so we'll never know. Um, you, you've, all, you've already taken some of my taglines that I like to start with because I like to tell everybody just exactly who we are, the Canadian Council of Chief Executives. Uh, so uh, you can see that they do manage a lot of assets and they have a lot of revenues. But I also want to stress that, that our members, which is, remember, it's, our members are a subset 
of large business in Canada. Um, but our members employ about one and a half million Canadians and they make up more than half the market cap on the Toronto Stock Exchange. So they are, they are the big companies and that's uh, it's really in part on their behalf that I want to talk but I think today I have a message that's, that goes beyond the concerns and the interests of the CEOs of Canada's large companies. I want to talk about things that are important I think to all of us. I know there are a lot of human resources professionals in the room um, and uh, some of you are daily concerned with these issues. I know there are a lot of uh, others in the room whose eyes might sometimes glaze over when you talk about some of these issues, but I think that they are important ones. I'm going to try to, uh, I'm going to, try to uh, make it interesting to all of you. First of all, the topic is one that you've all been hearing about. It goes by a lot of different names. Some people call it the skills gap. Others talk about labor shortages and skill mismatches. Some people are talking about a skills crisis. Everywhere in Canada, there is, I think, rising concern about the young people's transition from education to the job market. Parents are worried about it, looking at their children's future career prospects and the standard of living that they might enjoy. Journalists are talking about the so-called barista generation and about the growing problem of income disparity caused in part by the challenges facing young people as they try to make their way into the job market. These are all legitimate, important concerns. But before we start to identify solutions to our labor market and skills shortages, we need to develop a much clearer understanding of the source and nature of the problem. In my, in my view, there is in fact, a looming crisis. But it's probably not exactly the one that most people think it is. So for the next 20 minutes or so, I'd like to try to explain what I think is the most serious skills problem facing Canada. And when I say that, I'm not just talking about the needs of the business community, but these are, in fact, quite significant. When you get right down to it, What's really at stake here, what's really at stake is whether our country is adequately preparing its citizens to succeed in a world that is increasingly driven by information, knowledge, and innovation, and in an age of unprecedented economic, social, and technological change. Now let me start by telling you about some of the work that we are doing at the Canadian Council of Chief Executives. Over the last few months, we've been meeting with, our, uh, and with a wide range of educators, uh, policy advisors, consultants, senior government officials, and consulting with them to find out what they're saying about these issues, what are their perspectives on the skills issue. Many have also encouraged us as a business uh, organization to get more involved, to play a more active and constructive role in helping to shape an education and skills strategy that will position Canadians for the new economy. In response, what we're doing today is launching an initiative that will help to drive much of our policy work over the next two or three years. We're calling it Taking Action for 
Canadian jobs and skills for the 21st century. Now, as part of this initiative, we plan to publish a series of papers and reports that will examine different facets of the skills challenges facing Canada and the contributions that are made by each of the major players in the education and skills training system. That includes primary and secondary school systems, colleges, universities, polytechnic institutions, apprenticeships, and employer-sponsored workplace training. Today we're distributing copies of the first of these papers, which I think you'll find, you'll find it at your place at the table. It's a, what I think you'll find is provocative, at least, as, as an overview prepared by Bernard Simon, the former Canadian correspondent for the Financial Times of London, now a faculty member at the Monk School of Global Affairs. Bernard's paper is subtitled, So Much Noise, So Little Action, which I think accurately conveys the frustration that many people feel now about the skills debate in this country. Also today, I'm going to share with you some preliminary results from a just-completed survey of 100 large Canadian employers representing about two-thirds of our member companies. The identities of the companies themselves are confidential, but I can give you an idea of their size and impact on the economy if I tell you that as a group over the last two years, they have hired about 325,000 Canadians. Over the next five years, and including their affiliated companies, they expect to fill more than 700,000 job vacancies. So it's kind of meaningful. The first question we asked them was whether and to what extent skills shortages are currently a problem in their view. So here you can see their responses. More than two-thirds told us that skills shortages are a moderate or a big problem for their company. When we asked them the same question from the perspective of their industry or sector, the answers were roughly the same. So I'd, I would think, I think I'd characterize this as a significant degree of concern, but not necessarily what I would call a critical situation from a national perspective. Next, we asked them to tell us where in the country they're experiencing skills shortages. Bear in mind that most of our member companies have operations in several provinces, if not in every province across the country. The responses here were unequivocal, though not necessarily surprising. More than two-thirds said that they are having trouble finding workers in Alberta. That's more than twice as many as selected the two most populous provinces, Ontario and Quebec. We also asked them to indicate the reasons for the challenges that they're facing in recruiting and retraining and retaining talent by a significant margin. The number one answer was a shortage of workers with specific skill sets. The second most common response was a perceived reluctance of some Canadians to relocate for employment, followed by barriers to recruiting outside the country and concerns that the education system is not producing people with the skills that the companies need. This chart, that's coming up now, shows the kinds of jobs that large Canadian firms are struggling to fill. Using a simple weighting system that assigns three points to their first priority, 
two to the second and one to the third, we found that among these companies, the greatest need is for engineers and workers with related credentials such as engineering technologists and technicians. Another area in which our members are reporting significant shortages is IT, a category that includes web developers, network administrators, and cybersecurity specialists. In third and fourth place were workers with general business skills, including managers, accountants, and finance staff, and then skilled trades. Again, what I think we're seeing in these results is that for the most part, the serious skill shortages that Canadian companies are experiencing are concentrated in specific fields and specific areas of the country, most obviously Alberta. But when we ask these same companies what qualities matter to them when evaluating a potential new employee, their responses were interesting. Well down the list, in sixth place in terms of importance, were industry-specific knowledge and experience. The top five answers are all aspects of what are often referred to as soft skills, the ability to work well with other people, communication skills, problem-solving and analytical abilities, and leadership skills. Next, we asked our members to estimate the percentage of their payroll that is likely to retire within the next five years. This is, this is a big concern for many companies in light of the fact that Canada's population is aging. Sure enough, well over a third of the companies in this survey are expecting to lose 11% or more of their employees to retirements between now and 2018. Almost as many said that they expect to lose between 6 and 10% of their workforce. Now, when you think about that, that actually represents a pretty good opportunity for young Canadians if they have the right skills and they're in the right place at the time that those jobs need to be filled. When we asked these same companies whether they anticipate any problems in recruiting people to take the place of their soon-to-retire workers, the responses were mixed. Less than a third said yes. They are confident that they would be able to replace retiring workers. Twice as many said that they were only somewhat confident, while 7% said they were not at all confident that they could replace them. So I've given you a sample of the results from our survey of CCCE member companies. But I think the crucial message from Canada's largest employers is clear. Yes, there are skills shortages. For the most part, they're being experienced in specific regions of the country and in certain fields. Right now, you'd have to say technical skills, IT skills, and skilled trades are in high demand. But the common denominator across the economy is that everywhere, employers are looking to recruit young people with a strong complement of soft skills, such as the ability to communicate, to think clearly, and to work in teams. The good news is that there are likely to be plenty of rewarding career opportunities for young Canadians over the coming decade or so, or so as our population ages and companies seek to replace large numbers of retiring workers. 
So with that as a background, the question that I think we need to ask ourselves is whether our country is doing everything that it can to prepare Canadians, especially young Canadians, to succeed in the 21st labor market, that uh, 21st century labor market that is emerging. And on that score, I don't think we're performing anywhere near as well as we need to do. Let me explain what I mean. First, let's think about how Canadian students have been performing on one of the world, world's most closely watched benchmarks of education excellence. This is the uh, OECD study called PISA, the Program for International Student Assessment. Every five years, the OECD tests uh, reading, science, and math skills of 15-year-olds in developed and emerging economies around the world. In the most recent round of tests in 2009, Canada didn't do too badly. Our students ranked fifth in the world in reading, but we were in eighth place in science and tenth place in math. Now, personally, I don't think we can afford to brag about coming in tenth place in math or anything else. But what really concerns me is that compared to the results of the previous PISA studies going back to 2000, Canadian students' math performance has been falling in six provinces, in Newfoundland, Prince Edward Island, New Brunswick, Manitoba, Alberta, and British Columbia. The results of the latest PISA study, based on testing in 2012, will be released next Tuesday, December 3rd. The, the, uh, the buzz on the street about that is that Canada's performance will slip further when those results come out. Now let's look next at another, of, uh, another really massive international study, this one called PIAC, the Program for International Assessment of Adult Competencies. Unlike PISA, which measures the skills and knowledge of 15-year-olds, PIAC focuses on adults ranging from age 16 to 65. The point of this study is to measure the sorts of everyday skills required to succeed in today's knowledge economy. For example, under literacy, one of the tests was to read the package insert of a drug and then indicate the age at which that drug could safely be taken. In the math portion of the study, a typical question asked people to imagine themselves in a supermarket looking at a coffee display. If the coffee is on special this week, two packs for the price of one, how much is the percentage discount? I'll let you work that out on the back of your piece of paper there. The first results from PIAC were published just last month. And in many, in many ways, they need to represent a wake-up call for Canada. Let's start with literacy, where Canada has historically always done quite well in international rankings. The first thing you can see from uh, this chart is that although Canadians 25 and older tend to do a bit better than their peers in the rest of the developed world, our 16 to 24-year-olds are actually performing worse in literacy skills. Here's another way to look at it. Our 16 to 24 year olds rank below 
the OECD average in literacy, and they are significantly weaker than their peers in countries such as Finland, Japan, Korea, the Netherlands, Australia, Sweden, and Poland. Now let's look at numeracy skills. Here, Canada ranks below the OECD average, across the board and in every adult age group. Looking again at just the 16 to 24-year-old age group, the top-ranked countries in basic math skills include Finland, the Netherlands, Korea, Japan, Sweden, Germany, and Denmark. When I look at these results, the question that I ask myself is why, given the supposed excellence of our public education system, why is Canada performing below average in comparison with many of the world's other advanced economies? Yes, we're doing better than the United States. But the United States is wrestling with deeply rooted problems of poverty, inequality, and underfunding. But Canadian governments invest heavily in education. And historically, we've taken pride in the quality of our public education system. Surely Canadians have a right to expect something better than below average, looking at the OECD. For those of us who want to see how Canadians stack up internationally, the PIAC results are a treasure trove of all kinds of information. I'm just going to give you one example of the kinds of data that are included in this, in this study. This table compares the math skills, the math skills of all post-secondary graduates in the 24 countries that participated in the study. It also highlights the math scores of teachers in each of those 24 countries. Teachers are represented by the red bands on the chart. The blue arrow near the bottom of the screen points to Canada's ranking. A little hard to read, I know, but here's the takeaway. In terms of their basic math skills, Canada's teachers are roughly on a par with the peers, their peers in the United States and in 19th place overall. Okay, process that. 19th place out of 24 countries, math skills of our teachers. Uh, that worries me. I, I hope it worries you as well. Finally, since we're in Ontario, I'll mention the annual tests administered by this province's Education Quality and Accountability Office, um, EQAO. The most recent EQAO results came out in August. They showed that while Ontario elementary students' literacy skills have been improving, their math scores have been declining steadily, getting worse in each of the past five years. To quote directly from the report, elementary school math programs are losing ground in the effort to help students achieve and maintain math success, particularly in grades four to six. In highlighting these poor results, I don't, I'm not really trying to pick on the teachers, nor am I attempting to blame the education system for the wide range of labor market challenges facing Canada. In fact, we're at the beginning of our work, and we're identifying what some of the problems are. 
I think we've got to get, we've got to drill into those and understand what the causes of the problems are, and then we've got to start to identify some solutions. A lot of the skills people need to succeed in the workplace are being developed on the job, and though employer-sponsored and through employer-sponsored training, and, and I would be the first to acknowledge that Canada's employers need to do more to help develop the skills of their workers. Some companies are investing heavily in this area. Many others don't do as much as they could. And I think we're seeing that that's short-sighted and it needs to change. But I want to be clear on this point. Employers and industries do have a responsibility to step up when it comes to developing company and industry-specific skills and knowledge. But as a Canadian, what really troubles me is the growing body of evidence that shows Canada is falling behind when it comes to equipping its citizens with the broad knowledge and cross-cutting skills that are required to succeed in life and in an increasingly competitive global economy. So I think it's time for us all to have a very honest conversation about what's working and what isn't working. It's time to stop congratulating ourselves on the quality of our primary, secondary, and post-secondary education systems and face up to the fact that our performance in international rankings is getting worse, not better. That's the measure. What are the outcomes and how do we compare? As Canadians, we should not aspire to be average or worse, we should not aspire to be below average. I don't think we should even aspire to be above average. I think we need to aspire to be at the top. There's a very interesting study that was done for one of my former colleagues. He was the science advisor to the President of the United States. Discovered that very similar results to these 20 years ago. Discovered that Americans weren't too concerned about those results. But on, their, on that analysis, on math skills, Korea was number one and Taiwan was number two. Before the results were widely known, Taiwan was revamping its math training programs because they were shocked that they had come second to Korea. The only thing we really aspire to get the gold medal in is hockey. How about if we have two things, hockey and math skills? and see if we can build a greater country. So the, the panel, the paper that we're distributing today, um, if you flip through it, you'll see that Bernard Simon asks a number of contentious and pointed questions about Canada's education and skills training systems. Some of these are the questions that we're going to continue working on. How can we encourage closer collaboration between business and educational institutions? How can teachers' performance be measured and improved? How can we foster a culture that places as much value on an apprenticeship or a technical certificate as on a university degree? How can businesses be encouraged to provide more long-term training for their employees? How can Canada generate more use more useful labor market information, information that enables students, workers, and employers to make smarter decisions about their own training and their own lives. As Bernard points out, the, the answers to these questions are anything but clear-cut. 
In many areas, the solutions will not be easy to implement. But it will need to come to, but we need to come to terms with a range of very real problems that I believe threaten Canada's place in the world and the quality of life that our citizens enjoy and have a right to expect. In launching our initiative, the Canadian Council of Chief Executives is committed to spearheading a business response to what is fundamentally a national crisis, a crisis that isn't just about finding workers with certain skills to fill today's job vacancies, but about Canada's declining performance overall in international measurements of the skills our citizens need to enjoy uh, rewarding and fulfilling lives. The business community will have something to say on these issues, for sure, but many others need to get involved. Together, we need to tap the energy and ingenuity of all Canadians to find solutions. And having found solutions, we need the con commitment and the desire to take action. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, John. Uh, as I said, uh, Mr. Manley has agreed to take questions. Two short rules. Please identify yourself when you're asking a question, and in the words of Alex Trebek, please phrase your question in the form of a question. But House of Commons rules apply. That is, this is question period, not answer period. Hi, Mr. Manley. Stephen Krein with the Canadian Employee Relocation Council. Thank you very much for taking my, my question. It's, it's uh, in the lines of a comment um, in regards to the survey that, um, that your organization just completed, which found that CEOs think that Canadians uh, are reluctant to move. Uh, we recently conducted a survey with, of Canadians with Ipsos Public Research, which found that only two in 10 Canadians we're likely to move for employment purposes, and that was with a raise in pay and all of their relocation expenses covered. So I was very pleased to see that result in your survey, and uh, hopefully we can find ways in which we can address some of those, those problems. Thank you. Some of the issues, of course, related to relocation also reflect the, some of the barriers that have existed historically to movement and recognition of, of some uh, professional and other qualifications across provincial borders, which is an ongoing problem that, uh, that uh, we, haven't, we haven't wrestled to the ground despite years of federal and provincial governments wrestling with it. And I know your, your council has been very vocal about some of those obstacles and the barrier they, they present for the Canadian economy. Thank you for your presentation. Um, my name is Michael Charles. I'm a diversity consultant, and I also focus on organizational development, so I was a very keen listener to some of your comments. I wondered if uh, you could respond to, I think, an article that was written in the Globe and Mail recently that suggested, uh, using the analysis of the number of advertised vacancies for positions in Canada, that, inf that in fact uh, countered this argument that there is actually a skills gap um, to what extent did, did that uh, factor into your analysis, or do you discount it? 
And then secondly, uh, on the issue of the executive survey, is that available online? I don't know if I, I heard you correctly while you were giving your presentation. Thank you. Um, the, uh, first of all, what I would say is um, what we've, what our analysis is not actually inconsistent with that report. In other words, what we found is where there are shortages, they tend to be fairly local and very specific. Um, so we haven't, uh, we haven't accepted the, some of the more shrill statements that there is a skills crisis in Canada. There's not a skills crisis in Canada in the sense that that's meant. Yes, we could use more uh, plumbers and pipe fitters and electricians in the oil sands, and that's creating shortages in other parts of the country. Um, in certain construction areas, uh, there are shortages, but this is not this is not a national shortage that, uh, and therefore somewhat consistent with the uh, with the published data with respect to job vacancies. Um, yes, the survey results. I'm not sure whether we got them up on the website yet, in part because uh, they're still fairly preliminary in nature. We're still we're still actually harvesting some of the results, but they will be available uh, on our website as a, uh, uh, as a public reference tool. Uh, Stu Audie from the Canadian Safe School Network. Uh, I appreciated, uh, Mr. Manley, your comments about education. My question is a little bit different, though, and I don't know whether you, your council enters into this field. It has to do with kids that are graduating from schools uh, today or not graduating from schools and choosing not to go into the standard uh, skill job related company but rather they're focusing on working for themselves and finding that uh, working for themselves is more gratifying since there's not a cradle to grave job opportunity out there that they see for themselves. I'm wondering whether your council has a comment or you have a comment on kids today that are Moving into that, moving in that direction, whether you in fact are tracking that, and how do we compare as a country in terms of entrepreneurism uh, in the Canadian market? Um, what I'd say is that, that um, uh, tracking them or, or trying to do an analysis of it is probably probably beyond the capacity of an organization like ours to do. What we are trying to do is identify some. Uh, some of the uh, entre young entrepreneurs that have uh, begun developing companies that have high growth potential and actually including them with our senior and uh, experienced CEOs, um, in, in part that's a very valuable two-way exchange. For the young people, it's a chance to actually talk to some people who have built large businesses and uh, many of which started as small businesses, but have been entrepreneurial as well, and to and to and to network with people who have experience. And also for our CEOs, it's an opportunity for them to get uh, to be exposed to a, a different generation of entrepreneurs. So we we are on that on that beat. Um, I think that as we uh, as Canada goes forward. Uh, one of the things that we're going to need to figure out how to do is how to make uh, real use of um, entrepreneurial skills at, at business creation. We've got to look at ways that we, we, we grow companies rather than just how we start them. Uh, 
I've been on this beat now for a lot of years, I guess, as industry minister and, and in other roles. And I, actually, we're not bad at starting companies. We start a lot of companies in Canada, some of them by young people and some of them by older people. But we start a lot of companies. What, we're, what we haven't been very good at is taking them up the growth curve consistently and maintaining their growth. And when you, when you look at the numbers, whatever outcome you would like to, to measure, whether it's exports, whether it's R&D performed, whether it's corporate philanthropy, whether it's people hired and retained, whether it's wage levels, in every category, the larger firms are going to contribute more than smaller firms. So our problem is not how do we start more small firms, it's how do we take small firms and enable them to grow. So I'm hoping that we can find a few keys to unlock that particular door as well. We have time for one last question right, uh, right over here. Uh, thank you, Mr. Manley. Excellent, excellent presentation. And especially, I think, what you've just said in the last remarks with regard to growing the companies. My name is Ken Field at Greenfield Specialty Alcohols. And I know you've spent a considerable amount of time thinking about this. And therefore, my question is, not to put you on the spot, but if you could prioritize for us the two or three things that you think would be the most important things for us to do in order to correct the situation that you've mentioned here, I think we'd all like to hear that. Thank you. Well, I think that we, uh, as I urged in my remarks, uh, Ken, I think that we have an urgent need for a serious conversation about how we uh, make our, uh, our current vast structure of, of training and education more responsive to the needs uh, of the uh, job market that's emerging and how and measure those outcomes. Um, I think what we've got with PIAC and, and uh, uh, the other um, surveys that, that I showed you is an indication that in some measure the outcomes are just not good enough. I don't know why, quite frankly, I don't know why the, those results are as they are. I think we need to understand what that is. And I don't know what the solutions are. But I suspect that they lie uh, in the area of creating greater flexibility uh, at, our, at the post-secondary level. And I think it, they probably lie as well in understanding um, how a new generation of young people learns. Uh, different factors, different forces in their educational lives. Um, I think that we uh, know that results are uh, in math skills, for example, are somewhat better where teachers have uh, math training, believe it or not, at least in, in uh, K to 12, we don't require um, many, for many of those years, we don't require math teachers to actually be trained in mathematics. Makes it a little bit challenging for them. Um, may account for some of those results. So I think, but I think what I'm saying is we really need to drill into these numbers and understand what it is. Um, we need to be uh, expecting that our at, that at the later stage of uh, of uh, education, that results do uh, occur that find young people actually being placed in jobs that they want. 
um, I think we need to get at the core of why we're training a lot of people for jobs that don't exist. Ontario has reacted to this in the last year by capping the number of students that are going into Bachelor of Education programs. I mean, if you know anything about B.Eds, it's hard to get into that program. You have to be really smart uh, to, uh, with good marks to get in. And we were producing Canada-wide uh, something like uh, three and a half times as many B.Ed graduates per year as there were job vacancies. You know, th does that make any sense? Ontario's moved to cap that. I think that's the right, uh, the right approach. So I, I, I think there, I'm not giving you your one, two, three list of priorities that you asked for, but I think there is a minefield here of opportunities of things for us to dig into and to understand. Um, you know, everything from the cultural issues around why uh, Canadian students tend not to choose apprenticeship or, or trade skills uh, in order to do other things that by all accounts are more difficult sources of employment and, and, and don't pay as generously either. Uh, I think we've got a lot of understanding to do before we can dictate the solutions. Mr. Manley, I'd like to call upon uh, Jen Sloan, President-elect of the club, to say a few words. <laughs> Thanks, and good afternoon, everyone. If you were to take a look at my resume, I don't know why you would, but if you were, you'd see a chunk of it, and you'd say, wow, this woman moved around a lot. And that's because I worked for a guy who couldn't keep a job because he went from Minister of Industry to Minister of Foreign Affairs to Minister of Finance to the Deputy Prime Minister. And so, of course, I'm talking about John Manley, who I had the great pleasure of working for for several years and why it's a joy for me to thank him today on behalf of the club and behalf of you. So, John, thank you for your keen insights about the issues that are of concern to the Council's membership, knowing that they resonate with all of us. And while Canada enjoys the distinction of having one of the most educated and highly qualified workforces in the world, our human capital advantage is slipping. We are fortunate that the Council is sounding the alarm bells as well as intending to propose concrete policies to keep Canada's workforce strong. The Council is actively engaged in shaping fiscal, taxation, trade, competition, energy, environmental, educational and corporate governance policies, and it has an outstanding record of achievement in matching entrepreneurial initiative with sound public policy choices. Under your leadership, this record has never been stronger. Is it any wonder? that the Canadian Council of Chief Executives has been referred to as the world's most effective CEO-based organization dedicated to public policy, development, and solutions. Not at all. John, please accept our very best wishes for continued success in the many roles that you play. Thank you. I'd like to uh, echo Jen's comments and uh, thank John once again for joining us today. When I get home this evening, right after hockey practice, I'll be sure to administer a math test to my nine-year-old son. Um, once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, uh, uh, McCarthy Tetro and Aon, for making today's event possible. 
And before adjourning today's event, I'd like to point out that each of you will have a, an event survey card at your, at your tables. Please do fill out the event survey card as we value your feedback uh, as we strive to make each and every event uh, better. Uh, finally, this concludes our television programming, which we broadcast on Rogers TV in the days to come. We're grateful for Roger, to Rogers TV for their continued promotion of Canadian Club events. To learn more about the club and to, more learn, to learn more about our events, please visit our web website at canadianclub.org. Thank you for joining us. This meeting is now adjourned.